2: Sal Capaccio. 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 On WGR.
0: Sal Capaccio Capaccio joining us from Indianapolis. Coverage of the NFL Combine on WGR brought to you by Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Fast, sustainable weight loss. Then free support for life. Awaken180weightloss.com. And by Outlet Liquor, when you need to stock up, it's the place to buy a case. What's your outlet? Jeremy White with you, Joe out today, and Sal on the Western Hotline. Hey, Sal, good morning. Good morning. What was the
3: game you stormed the court for? Did, I mean, you never mentioned it.
0: I'm pretty sure it was a Syracuse win over UConn. Um, I mean, okay. I, I'll have to look up like the 1998 Syracuse basketball schedule or 99 Syracuse basketball schedule because I definitely went on the court. For a basketball game, mm-hmm. and I—I I know I, I st- the one I remember specifically, and you'll remember this: the McNabb to Brominski t- touchdown to beat v- Virginia <laughs> Virginia Tech. I went on the field for yeah. that one, yeah.
3: Uh, throw, bat, like throwing it the other way, he rolls right, he throws yep. left, right. Syracuse that, used to they lo- used that.
0: to love the yes. tight end throwback play.
3: <laughs> they did. I also stormed the court the at the time Carrier Dome court. It was 1994, I have the date here, February 12, 1994, a win over Kentucky. Hmm. The, the uh, Kentucky came to the dome in 94, they were highly ranked. Syracuse beat them. I also stormed the court. Uh it's I've always been pro stor- court storming. I mean, doing it, you know, because I think it's a part of the experience. I've always said, I can't wait like, we've watched some stuff like that, my son and I. And I'm like, look at these kids. This is crazy. And I said, you know, one day you're going to do that, and you're going to FaceTime me and say, Dad, look at it. I'm on the court right now, right? And I said, and I'm going to be, be like, oh, go, go have a good time. But uh, a couple incidents lately, I do think they have to at least visit, you know, how or what to do about it. Not really sure, because I've no. always thought it was part of the cool experience. But at the same time, you, you definitely can't have people hurt like that.
0: Sure, right. Like, yeah, it's... I don't know, Sal. Not to get like too deep into this. I, I, having lived the life of the college kid, just out there trying to have a good time, but not trying to hurt anybody. But realizing yeah. people do get hurt. That's um, right. You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to like shame those kids for doing the same thing that kids have done to help grow the 100%. atmosphere for college basketball for decades. But of course, if college basketball did want to make some sort of adjustment, I, w- I would see the the reason.
3: Yeah, for sure. So I told I hope Filipowski okay. I think he sprained his ankle, but you yeah. know it was a shame to see. But it was a cool scene as well. I like, you mean, you know, for me watching that, like, wow, look at that, and then you see that happen. So, yeah. Um, hey, look. I mean, we we live in a city, Jeremy. To bring it back to football, we the Bills fans. It hasn't happened now. It's not going to happen now. They made changes, but I mean, the goalposts came down a few times in Buffalo when yep. Bills the Bills won big games and the fans you know stormed the field.
0: Yeah. I wonder, could it happen again? Like if they were to win the AFC title at home, would people like try and jump on the field? People, Trump. I mean,
3: oh, I'm sure people would try. I just don't know if it would be able to happen these days. Yeah. Also, but there's no reason. Well, you might. They might want to go down the field, but there's no incentive to tear down the goalposts anymore because they're not right. The mechanical. Right, right. And they just basically come down on their own before that.
0: So, Sal, you're in Indianapolis. Sean McDermott spoke yesterday. Um, talk for a a good long time, right? Like there was a lot to get to for the mm-hmm. head coach. Uh, what'd you come away with as a mm-hmm. as, as a big picture from what McDermott had to say? Well,
3: look, I mean, his staff is getting younger, and there there was you know the first question was about you know Bobby Babich, who's his new defensive coordinator, and if he's going to call plays or if Sean's going to call plays, and he said they're still working through that. Now, I'm sure that they're at some level of understanding of what they want to do, and he didn't reveal that to us. Um, but I wouldn't doubt that they really are going to work through it, and maybe there's a mind of and by him saying that, by the way, because I just want to rewind rewind a year, okay, Jeremy. Last year, after we found out that Leslie Frazier was not going to be, you know, on the bill staff, it came out and I learned and other people learned pretty quickly within the next few weeks that Sean McDermott was going to call plays. Like, it wasn't said, but we knew it. Like, we were told, okay, this is where it's trending, this is where it's going, you know, just by people who kind of knew things, and then eventually it did. It's been a month since Bobby Babbage has been named defensive coordinator, and they're still talking as they are working through it. That That lends itself to me to think that there's a good chance that Bobby Babbage might do it because we haven't heard anything about you know McDermott keeping it right now. So that's interesting. That's just my guess and my read on it, and trying to read the tea leaves.
0: On that, you know, I I remember at training camp asking McDermott this last year about taking over calling plays. If that was because, like, if he felt more comfortable taking over play calling in part because he had veterans on the offensive side. Like, think back to the start of training camp, Sal. He had Dorsey entering year two as opposed to a first year play caller, and the number of veterans that would have been on that offensive staff. Like to me, that's one of the reasons he was able to step away from the offense and focus on defense. And now, like as you bring about bring up all these changes and this includes a new special teams group, right? Mm-hmm. Like they've it, young coaches he might want to have more of a, you know, you could say a step back CEO, but it might whatever. Whether that seems like it's hands-off, that just might be more hands-on in different ways. Yeah,
3: not special teams, but secondary for sure, right? You Thank have more you, right? The, you have secondary different coaches. Yeah, that's right. You have different coaches in the secondary. Um, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see because uh he does have a younger staff. You know what he said, Jeremy? It was really interesting. I think you'll like this. He mentioned it was kind of a just a a comment that you really didn't really think about until I went back and re-listened. And he mentioned how he's got younger coaches and a few who've been in college, even Bobby Babbage, who's been in college, um Jamila Dye now, the new corner's coach who's been in college, a couple other guys. And he says, and they see the game through a couple different prisms. And I thought that was interesting to say something like that, right? Like he's actually thinking about how these guys came up through college where the game has changed a little bit more and they're doing things. And now they're being added to his staff. So don't think for a second that didn't matter. Right. That like he is thinking about how the game has evolved in different ways. And these guys have seen it through their lens. So I thought that was an interesting comment just to say, hey, we have guys on the staff who've been in college and, you know, see things through their prism and uh, through a different lens, basically. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, the other thing that you could know, touch on that if you want. But the other thing that I thought was really interesting is I asked him about creating offensive explosive plays on offense. He talked about it when he met with the media at the end of season press conference. And he reiterated, I mean, this is something that I think the bills have really talked about. So his quote was, and I think this is where it's kind of even evolved a little bit. From a month ago, Jeremy, where he mentioned Rack. Now we've heard about Rack before, right? I mean, we yep. knew that the Bills wanted to be a Rack team, and it's like, okay, well, this is what they want to do. He didn't go full out and say, We have to be better at Rack. What he said was though whether it's able to throw the ball down the field and complete it through the air down the field or get a short catch and run it down the field, you have to have the ability to do that, especially because of the way defenses are defending you these days. Split safety looks, keeping everything underneath, making you be patient. That's fine, but there better be a play in there where you get it down the field somehow. And that was really
0: interesting. Sal Capaccio joining us in the Western Hotline from Indianapolis you know on that the pursuit of those plays and the pursuit of explosive plays to find out they were 19th in the league in in explosive passing plays was it's kind of jarring probably for Bills fans because you know even though you see defenses key in on certain things you you want to find a way and I, I think this is what the Bills are kind of getting at where Josh Allen really does have as many things at his disposal as possible just the the presence of someone that can give them those explosive plays means that it seems to me, Sal, it means it would be defended differently, and life should just get easier overall for Allen.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think that that's that been a bit of a theme here, which is make life easier on Josh. Make things easier on Stefan Diggs, which, you know, again, has been something talked about, you know, this offseason. Brennan Bean, I went back and re-listened all the stuff he said about Diggs, and he said, you know, we have to get him more help so teams can't bracket him and take him away. You have Sean McDermott talking about explosive plays and player acquisition. So I, I just think that already we are set up for this week of They I think they bought a ticket on your train. I mean I'm just saying I think they did. Yep. That's what I think is happening here. To be honest with you, yeah.
0: They've also started restructuring season. We saw Connor McGovern yeah. uh, freeze up about three point four in space. <laughs> Has uh, I, I you know when when talking about all these restructure sales, one of the things we kind of have to watch is to see how aggressive they want to be doing it. And I wonder if in in conversations with Brandon Bean in the past, do they have that as something that they know they're going to do or is it we'll see. You know, we might not plan on moving player X's money around, but if it's the difference between getting this free agent defensive end or not, we might decide in that moment to do it.
3: They don't love doing it. Uh, Brandon Bean would rather not do that a lot, but he, he's willing to. And he said that but he doesn't love doing it. So the bills basically, the way I see their contracts written, and you know, when you look at some of the base salary and how they do this, I think they kind of build it into their own structure of, you know what, we're going to give a high base salary in a couple of years. That'll give us that ability at that time if we need to, but if we don't need to, then that's fine. And we don't have that, you know, that cap challenge right there. So to me, it's a little bit of, uh, the latter of what you said, which is we'll do it if we need to. And I, I think they know for the next few years they're going to they're gonna have to get creative and do this a little bit. And you're, you know what you're going to see this year, Jeremy? I, I can almost guarantee you. Same thing you saw with Leonard Floyd last year and maybe another guy or two. I know I know a Milano Extension and when they extended Hyde, Deion Dawkins. Whether it's extension or um, signing, you're going to see void years. Now, I've been asked by people, what is a void year? It's a good question. You know, you talk about it's a new language kind of we've learned over the last few years because teams are really taking advantage of it. The Saints do it a lot, as you know, that they kind of ex- keep extending their salary cap. The Bills have done it a lot more often here. So what a void year is, is when a player signs a contract for, let's say, four years and you give a $20 million signing bonus. Normally, that's $5 million each year on the cap. It's simple. It's $20 million divided by four. But what you do is you add what's called void years. They're fake years. So you actually sign a six-year contract to spread that money out even more. But years five and six don't count. The player's actually a free agent. They void. So you're counting it on your cap for your purposes of spreading it out. And it does cost you on your cap when it comes time. But the player's actually a free agent. This, ha- this is happening with Leonard Floyd this year. Leonard Floyd signed a one-year deal last year for $7 million, But the Bills put one void year on it. So for the Bills, it was a two-year deal. For Leonard Floyd, it was a one-year deal, if that makes sense. That's basically the best way to put it. For the team, it's, you know, the the void years count for money purposes. For the player, the player's a free agent after the term
0: that it's up. Sal Capaccio joining us on the Western Hotline from Indianapolis as uh, the Combine gets rolling this week. The entire NFL world descends upon it. Sal, I wonder, you know, back to McDermott a little bit, his comments on the competition committee, which that's a thing that I was reading about it that – Um, boy, who boy, it's, it's, I'm going to blank on this. Somebody said it's actually a pretty high honor that for a coach to be selected for the competition committee means that you know the yeah. the league has decided this guy he rates, he matters, he's pretty safe. We can count on him. he It, it, it kind of makes you a figure in the league on some level. i I
3: would say, Jeremy, for my money, and I think that a lot of people would agree, it is the most prestigious committee you could be on in the league. You are appointed by the commissioner, Roger Goodell, and you, yes, if you look at the people on the committee, they are, you know, people who have a stake in this league. They are head coaches, GMs, front office executives with people with names who've been around. Mike Tomlin's been on the competition committee for years. Rich McKay has been the chairman of the competition committee. He's the CEO of the Atlanta Falcons. You have Katie Blackburn, she's the executive vice president of the Cincinnati Bengals. Chris Greer, who's the general manager of the Dolphins. Stephen Jones, we all know him from Dallas. John Mara, president, New York Giants. Then you have McDermott and McVay, who are just named, and Mike Tomlin. Now, sometimes it's nine people. Sometimes it's ten or eleven. I think it's been as much as twelve. I don't think there's an actual number that you know has to be. Um, you know, I've heard people think that, you know, you're not going to be selected unless Goodell thinks that you're going to be around a while. I'm sure that's true. It doesn't mean that he necessarily thinks you're going to be the head coach of that team for a while, but you'll probably be in some sort of prominent position in the league for a while, which is why guys like McDermott and McVay and Tomlin, you know, get chosen. So it is a very prestigious committee. He, it was kind of like, I, I thought he was kind of describing like the hall of fame, the way it works. He said, Troy Vincent texted him. And he got a text, and he thought that the team did something wrong. Like, he had to call Troy Vincent back, right? And then he called him back, and he was asked, and he said it was pretty pretty humbling. And he even got a text he said from Bill Polian about it, how – important it is because you're a steward of the game you are creating and discussing rules that will last really you know generations for the game possibly but definitely for several years so that's what their task is this week so just so everybody's clear they're not voting on any rules this week the owners and everybody they're not all getting together for that that's the owner's meetings in a month they're laying the groundwork the committee talks about these things now and then from there you'll have those proposals that happen at the owner's meetings in a month
0: okay and you know on on being on that, I don't, I don't know if this came up, Sal. Is McDermott, would he be comfortable? Is he allowed to talk about how he, what he thinks about some of these things? Because there are two <laughs> big ones right now that I think fans have a lot of opinions on. One, what to do about kickoffs. Troy Vincent said that they can't keep going the way they've been going on kickoffs because it's a ceremonial play. Mm-hmm. And then the other is the fumble out of the end zone, which I saw Judy Batista reporting. There's not a lot of momentum to change that. And, you know, Mc, McDermott being a part of... The committee Now, the committee doesn't decide, but like you said, right? They they just take it to the rest of the league for a, bu- for a big vote?
3: They do if there's enough momentum. Gotcha. Right? They'll discuss it. And if the competition committee feels like this is something we have to take to the rest of the owners at the owners' meetings, um, they may decide here there's not enough there that could be like, eh, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're going to waste our time when we get to the owners' meetings. So we did. We asked them, like, the, the little media that was around there, we asked Sean McDermott about this, uh, each one of them, which was, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Each rule that came up. And in a typical Sean McDermott fashion, he never really gave you a full answer, but he also kind of joked yep. and said, "Well, I'm on the committee now. I can't really give my stance on it." Um, he he did kind of to me give a little bit of an indication he feels a little bit about the the fumble out of the end zone rule, the way it was described by Judy, which is, "Hey, you got to protect the ball, right?" I mean, that's and he said, and "Yeah, it, it benefited the Bills in their game against Kansas City. We know that, right? The Bills got the ball back when Kansas City fumbled it out of the end zone." And I even said that to him. I said, I know despite the fact that your team benefited from it in a game, like what what do you think about it? But he mentioned the player, you know, make sure that the player holds on the ball. He said, that's a a coaching point. You know, you coach, You 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 got to be able to hold on to the ball. So I kind of feel like where he might stand on that. He didn't give an indication on the other ones. He basically said, like, he's done a lot of listening and hearing what other people have to say, and it's a lot to take in. And then from there, they'll discuss more.
0: Sal, so I found the date. I can tell you the date that okay. I st- that I stormed the court. I, I've, I've discovered there you go. Because it's I'm I'm a student at Syracuse and they beat UConn and it was would have been the game that they started the season. Syracuse did 16 and 0 and they were ranked f- <laughs> fourth in the country and they beat UConn and went on to uh, who knows what they did that season but they kind of blew out UConn. They were up big at the half and yeah 44 26 at halftime. So this was a game that was kind of over a long way through. So it would have been January 24th, 2000. I stormed the court at the Carrier Dome. Mm. Uh, now, this is a good example, though, of like what we're talking about. How Dukes is a close game and do you pull your starters? This is one where Syracuse fans, college kids, sorry, stormed the court winning by 14. <laughs> like <laughs> They had a chance to say, like, all right, let's let these idiots get on the court and let's get security to get the players to safety and let these idiots run out here because You know, a 14-point final minute of the game, you can prepare for that kind of thing.
3: Yeah, and um, I disagree with the caller called earlier who said, it's a four-point game, get your starters off. Four points, man. There are four-point plays in basketball. And I know they're very rare, but all it takes is for a technical foul for something stupid, you know, and then your team gets the ball with a second left. Or you know, if a player, we've seen I are mean, college players, right? They do dumb things sometimes. That's the charm of college sports, where you know, they sometimes things go awry, where maybe you throw it in and Kyle Filipowski, for example, goes up for a three and someone bumps his elbow while he Drains it, right? yeah, yeah. so I wouldn't get the starters off in that in that situation. That's a little uh, too thin. Now that said, I think the challenge now, Jeremy, is for you to find that Syracuse UConn video of two thousand <laughs> to see if you see yourself. I have looked for the Syracuse Kentucky game in ninety four. I can't find it. I only find the other Kentucky games that they played, like in the national championship. So if you can find that one, maybe we could see Jeremy and his flow running right, on yeah. the court after that game.
0: I didn't have flow back then. I had a lot much shor- uh, much shorter hair okay. in college. Yeah, <laughs> but here's the name: a blast from the past for you, Jake Voss. He's on that UConn team. Jake Voskell. Jake Hey, speaking of blasts from the past, I, amazingly,
3: so I went to the Damon basketball game this weekend. It was great. Great college hoops here in the area. If you get a chance, D2, Damon, they played uh, Duval. I didn't even realize Duval was D2. They used to be D3, I guess, but, you know, it's, it's really – Mike McDonald's just done such a great job with that Damon program, and, you know, we went to the game, saw Murph there. Uh, Former Bills trainer Bud Carpenter was there. There's a, Howard Simon. Is there. Howard Simon's doing like some play-by-play for the radio for those games? It's crazy. So I, it, you know, you're big when Howard Simon shows up to your game, right? But anyway, I'm looking through the roster. And I see the name Shumpert from Syracuse. Preston Shumpert, who was a great shooter at Syracuse, both of his sons play at Damon University. And I did not know that until I went to the game. And Preston was at the game, and I got a chance to speak to him as well. So that was
0: really cool. He was on that team, too. And I did find the highlight. I'm I'm, I'm watching the court storming from January 24, 2000 right now on YouTube. Sal, what's going on with this week? Uh, the schedule for you and for the Extra Point Show, the Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show, as we kind of roll through with our our continuing combine coverage.
3: Really important day today. We're going to hear from Brandon Bean today. That's at one fifteen p.m. So yeah, I'll have I'll be on the Extra Point Show. Uh, Joe's off today, but Zach's going to fill in for him. And Zach's going to be back in the studio where you are. I'm going to be here. We're going to be walking around. Well, it's the convention center, but there's this big room where everybody speaks, and there's a lot of media there. There's a media room. I'm going to grab some people, uh, kind of bring them on, get their thoughts, so we'll do that. But Brandon Bean at 1.15 p.m. today. There'll be more competition committee stuff going on. Today's really the day, Jeremy, where things get going. It's the first full day. We're going to hear from a lot of general managers, I think some head coaches today. I think general managers and head coaches. It's all different, but... Like every 15 minutes, there's different podiums going on and different people talking, so you go over there. Brandon Bean's the one that you know we're going to be uh, thinking about and, and caring about mostly. And then, obviously, the players, the prospects. They start rolling in. Defensive linemen and linebackers are first to go. They start rolling in today and talking to
0: the media as well. All right. Sal Capaccio from the Combine. Thanks, Sal. You got it. Continuing coverage of the NFL Combine brought to you by Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Fast, sustainable weight loss, then free support for life. Awaken180weightloss.com. And by Outlet Liquor, when you need to stock up, it's the place to buy a case. What's your outlet? Have placed a Twitter poll up. Have you ever stormed a court or a field? Where and when? Got a lot of answers. Look at, look at all these degenerates just looking to take pictures of themselves on a court. Look at you all. Um, we'll get you the numbers on how many people have. Haven't. And if you want to tell your story, 8030550, have you done it? You stormed a court? You've been on a field? Maybe not like as a streaker, but you know, the usual kind, the the normal kind that might not be normal going forward if Jay Billis and uh, a lot of the college world gets its way of banning those, which you know, hey, there'd be merit. 8030550 on WGR.